Money Show. Personal Finance with Warren Ingram. Personal Finance with Warren Ingram brought to you by Vodacom Business. Turn your dreams into a growing business. Search Vodacom Business SME. Welcome, Warren Ingram, to our first interaction uh, of 2020. One, there are new laws that are going to affect South African provident funds. Now, provident funds are retirement vehicles, but they're different from other retirement vehicles. So just do a quick uh, glossary, if you like, of, of, ex, of uh, ex, ex, explainers, if you would. <laughs> so so on the one side, you've always had uh, pension funds and retirement annuities. And, and they were treated very, uh, almost exactly the same. In other words, you know, you got a tax deduction for the contributions that you made to the, these investments and uh, and you couldn't access the money until you turned 55 at the earliest. And then you were only allowed to take a maximum of one third of the, of the money that you'd saved as a lump sum out of that investment. And the balance had to go into some form of, of, of income generating investment. And most of the time it was an, uh, a living annuity or an annuity. So, so that, that's kind of the old traditional uh, retirement vehicles. And then uh, quite a few years ago, uh, product providers came up with this thing called a provident fund where you wouldn't get a tax deduction for making a contribution to, to, the, to the retirement vehicle. What you would do is it effectively, they would just reduce your salary by the amount that, you'd, that, that was being saved in this provident fund. So, so you effectively, you still got a bit of a tax break or a fairly good tax break. But so instead of earning, of so instead of earning ten thousand, um, a thousand went into your provident fund, and you only pay tax on nine thousand. Exactly right. Yeah. Okay. And and there were limits about how much you could contribute. So it wasn't as if you could say, you know, no, no I, I want to take my whole ten thousand and and put that into my provident fund. You know, there there were, there were certain um, you know maximums that you could contribute to 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 provident funds to get that 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 sort of a tax break. Uh, then on the other side of it, when you wanted to actually get access to the money, uh, you could follow the same rules as as a, a pension fund or an RA. In other words, you said, I'll, I'll only start taking the money when I turn 55 and, and I'll be limited to that one third uh, lump sum and the balance I'll put into a new, uh, an annuity. However, there was also the the ability for you to access that money before you were 55. So, you know, if, if you were 35 years old and you'd been working for 10 years, you could go and, and leave a company, access your, your provident fund. All of the money that was in that provident fund would be added to your, your taxable salary or taxable income for that year. And you would pay massive tax on, 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 on that, that provident fund lump sum that you've now taken. But the point is you were able and, and within law, you were allowed to take that money. So, so that was always the big distinction between a pension fund or an RA, where you were never allowed to just access the money before age fifty-five, uh, and and provident funds where you could, but but then you you know you, you had a massive tax penalty. Got you. So, what are changes are coming? That's got you know, a lot of people are getting uh, incredibly paranoid about these changes. So, what are the changes? Well, 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 this is an interesting story because uh, it's been going since 2013, you know, when, when government said, look, we, we need to kind of align these things. You know, they, they, you can't just have all these different kinds of vehicles. You know, provident funds realistically probably shouldn't have existed. Uh, you know, it was some clever uh, lawyers working for insurance companies that hoodwinked, I think, would hoodwink Treasury and got, got these things treated very differently from, from the rest of the industry. So, so in 2013, they were saying, Let, let's let's make these operate in exactly the same way as, as a pension fund or uh, RA. But uh, there was huge uh, skepticism and and a massive trust deficit, which I can understand between us as investors and then the investment industry. 
uh, on the one side and, and government on the other side, because then there was a fear that government wanted to nationalize pension funds, etc. So it took a long time, but so some of the changes have already happened where the way you contribute to a provident fund is treated exactly the same way as a pension fund or an, an RA. But now what they're saying is when you when you want to draw money from, from your provident fund, that's now going to look the same as a pension fund and, and a retirement annuity. In other words, you won't be able to access the provident fund before you turn 55 and you'll then only be able to access one third. However, and I think this is a big point that, that people need to understand, this doesn't affect one cent of investments that have already been made into provident funds. This will only affect people who start making contributions or, or who make contributions from the 1st of March uh, this year going forward. So it's only on the new money that they're contributing and only if they are under the age of 55. Uh, and so if you're 54, um, this has absolutely zero effect on you whatsoever because you could access all of that money um, that you've paid in already and then the one year's worth of contributions that you make between 54 and 55 would be available to you from the age of 55 anyway, so big hairy deal. Yeah, but, but that contribution that you make from the age of 55 onwards, that would be subject to the, to those rules. In other words, you, you wouldn't be able to cash in the whole, you know. That, that, okay, that, oh, right, 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 got you, got you. So, so it's, I, mean, I mean, it's not a big issue for, for people who are close to retirement or, you know, who potentially already over the age of 55 but still working. Uh, and so I think that's just the first thing is, is this, you know, is this bad news? No, I don't think it's bad news. Uh, you know, d- does it affect a lot of existing savings? No, it doesn't. It's really new contributions going forward. Uh, on balance, you know, w- w- kind of what's my, my view of this? I think it's brilliant. Uh, you, you know, I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times we, you know, we've spoken about it on this show about people, you know, just quitting their jobs so they can access their provident fund and then they, they double down on, you know, paying massive taxes and they can't get a new job. So, the, unfortunately, it sounds paternalistic, and that's what people are accusing the government of being in this situation, you know, where, where they're forcing savings. But if you don't force people to save, history shows right around the world, people simply don't save for retirement, and they will access that money as fast as they possibly can in most instances. Most people in most instances. So, I so think, what's, what's, uh, the, what's the hullabaloo about? Because there is a hullabaloo. I think there's a hullabaloo. I've seen a hullabaloo uh, because, because of this trust deficit, people are absolutely convinced that this is some kind of conspiracy. I think it ties into so many other issues that have been floating around. You know, so initially it was this fear around nationalising of the of the retirement funds. The unions were were vehemently opposed to this, and and, and I think you know that was a mistake on their part as well. But then more recently, you, you know, we had this thing of of prescribed assets coming up, and and so that the timing of the prescribed assets conversation and this have coincided. Where, where you know people don't really understand this is a much older issue that you know it's kind of completely unrelated to the prescribed assets uh, conversation. And so I think, you know, then add the massive trust deficit and, you know, we, none of us want our money to be poured into state-owned enterprises that will then, you know, not do anything with it. So, so I think that it's, it's unfortunately a kind of a perfect storm of really bad management of the economy, bad management of state-owned enterprises, terrible communication around this, and then, you know, kind of just really bad timing where two issues arrive at the same time. So, so I, I think that, you know, the hullabaloo is not, it's not warranted in this instance for this, definitely warranted for all the other reasons but but i think people can relax about this issue that you know government's not doing anything to the existing savings that are there and certainly they're not changing the way that the money can be invested it's just a case of stopping people you know really you know 
um, kind of behaving really badly. You know, and I think that's the issue with this. It's the time of the year where people start thinking about um, sort of limiting their their tax payments and looking at the legalities as to how they can avoid paying uh, lots of tax. And for many people, that involves putting money into a retirement annuity, for example. Um, and lots of the misinformation, of course, of 2020, I think, has done a lot of damage in terms of um, the way in which you should be treating your retirement savings. There's been this huge... Um, campaign for people to take all their money offshore and to to diversify and not to put money into into retirement savings and we've had that discussion many times what is your sense of the way in which people should be thinking about mitigating their their tax obligations while continuing to save for the future I think you know. Just just added to that one point, I think is you know we we almost had probably five or six years of of you know returns from the JSE which which were either below inflation or barely above inflation, and I think that also added to the to the issue. You know, people just got so tired of seeing no growth from from their retirement funds unless they were just adding money, and and so. You know, looking at the situation now, I think, you know, when I don't know what to do and, and I don't have a really strong view in one direction or another, I tend to spread my risks. I tend to diversify my investment strategy. I, I diversify my saving strategy. So in this instance, what I would be saying to people is, you know, if you're worried about the South African economy and you're worried about, you know, potentially still getting low returns from, from your retirement funds in the future, don't negate that tax advantage that you're getting. So in other words, don't stop contributing to retirement funds altogether. Rather, rather go 50-50. You know, if you were going to put in, you know, 200 rand a month into, into retirement funds, put 100 rand a month into retirement funds and 100 rand a month into other savings, other investments, so, so that you still get the tax benefit. You know, I think, I've been saying it for a little while now, I think, you know, this is the decade of emerging markets. And so, you know, to, to expect that the JSC will, will deliver, you know, terrible returns for the next decade, I think is a mistake. Uh, and and if we get some clarity from from government that you know prescribed assets are off the table, which I think they've they've communicated already, but it's done maybe too quietly and badly, then you know maybe that gets a bit of confidence in 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 the government about about retirement funds. And if we see you know a spectacular continuation of the the returns we've seen from the JSC so far this year, then I think people will, will you know will follow follow the money again, follow the growth, and and maybe we undo some of the damage that was done by those unscrupulous people last year. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Warren Ingram. Uh, nice guidance there. Amanda sent him a note. And Amanda says, I've been renting a property for the last three years. Uh, my lease is coming up, uh, is coming to an end. And the landlord wants to sell. Should I buy? Such a great question. And we don't have any details to what kind of property it is, where the property is. But clearly, Amanda's very happy where she is because she is considering taking the property plunge. It's it's such a um, timeless question. You know, I think you know we've seen property prices, you know, residential property prices and commercial property prices collapse in South Africa, and and so you know there, there undoubtedly are buying opportunities. You know, it is a time for people who want to buy property. You know, this is certainly the buyer's market rather than the seller's market. And then we add, you know, the impact of low interest rates, you know, which is making property a bit more affordable for people. I think it's it's a really valid question. So so for me. Uh, you know, the one point is, you know, if, if Amanda's been living in the property for quite some time, then then she, I'm sure she's done her homework in terms of does she like the place, does she like the area, and the like. So, so the the next question as a follow up to that, you know, if she's done the due diligence, is uh, 
how, how long does she plan to stay in that property? So if she plans to stay in that property for, for an, another, at least another eight years or longer, to, to me, that's the key question because, uh, you, you know, you need to understand that, you know, buying and owning a property comes with a lot of transaction costs, you know, upfront because, you know, you've got to pay bond registration fees, you know, there's lawyers fees and banking fees and, and th those kinds of things. And then all, all of a sudden you start to incur the costs of ownership because, you know, if it's your own house and it's a standalone house, you're paying the government for, for uh, rates. And if it's a body corporate, you know, if it's an apartment or something like that, you're paying levies as well. And, and so suddenly you've got, you know, additional insurances because you're going to have to pay homeowners insurance, which you haven't had to pay before. So, so there are some additional costs to to being a property owner, and you, and you might have maintenance that you need to deal with as well. And and you know when I've tried to run multiple different sort of scenarios and 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 trying to understand you know is it good to buy or not because people somehow think I'm I'm opposed to property uh, property ownership. I don't know why. You, you, but, but, but hold on a second. <laughs> there was a time. There was a time, Captain Rent. <laughs> when you told us that it was the dumbest idea on earth to own a property, and then later on, Mrs. Ingram decided she wanted a garden because you are, and with all due respect, love, and admiration, a, a consumer cheapskate, you weren't going to pour <laughs> the money into somebody else's garden. So you thought, well, hold on a second, let's go all in. And you then bought and you invested and you joined the property owning classes. And I don't think yeah. you're upset with, with that decision. It's expensive and tedious and tiresome and stuff breaks and use no one else to phone but your own handyman or do it yourself. And exactly. that's a mess. <laughs> and, and so, yes, it comes with all kinds of agonizing pain and irritation and frustration. Um, but at least the landlord can't kick you out. Well, I think for me the benefit is is that I have a have a happy wife and and therefore I'm I'm happily married. So so I think that will be the 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 huge asset in 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 this whole thing. But other than that, uh, I, I really do I really was a very happy tenant and and loved my landlord for many years. So so um, I, I think um, yeah you're you're right. I mean I, I'm I'm not a big fan of property ownership, and I think not really saying that just because the last few years have been bad for property owners. I just I think it's an expensive exercise, but Having said all of that, running all the different scenarios that I could, I, I do think that that eight-year um, period is is a critical number. You know, so so if you if you are going to stay in a place for a long period of time, you know, at at the least eight years, then eventually, no matter how I, how I do my scenario planning, it does pay you to actually be an owner rather than a, a renter. So so I think that that's a that's an important point. And then you know, just things that Amanda must just think about is she's going to need to have some money for those you know bond registration fees and 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 those kinds of transaction costs, and then also some kind of a maintenance you know, fund, you know, kind of an emergency fund just for the property. And even if it's a body corporate where, you know, you, you own just an apartment, uh, that, that means, you know, you need to cover maintenance inside the property and you know, repainting every now and then. And if a geezer goes, you know, have you got money just to pay the excess if you need to and those kinds of things. So, so I do think it's a good idea that, you know, someone's done their homework, um, you know, and, and they know the property well, they want to stay there a long time, they, then, you know, Prices are, are are in the favor of buyers now. So so yes, you know, don't don't fall off your chair. I do think that there are good times to buy pro properties. This is one of those times. The the market and the, the economy is giving people an opportunity, especially with low interest rates. But then that's my last comment is you know, just understand, Amanda, when um, interest rates go up again, which they must do, you know, in, whether it's in two or three or five years' time, make sure that you can still afford the mortgage repayments. And then please pay off your mortgage as fast as you possibly can. You know, I think that's the other big thing in this. Don't don't take twenty years to pay off that mortgage.
Uh, and, and don't max out. Don't look at interest rates as they are at the moment. And uh, the, the the prime rate is 7%. And if you're a good client, you may still get a bit of a discount on that. You think, hey, I mean, I can afford this. So therefore, I can afford a, a million rand bond at current levels. Let me go and buy a million rand property or two or four or five or whatever size property you want to buy yourself. Um, and suddenly interest rates start going up and you find yourself short of cash because you cannot service the bond. Then you're going to miss your landlord an awful lot. Exactly. And, and, and I think, you know, it's interesting that, that the landlord wants to sell. So, so, I mean, you know, that would always just be a ni- nice question to kind of slip into the conversation with the landlord, you know, by the way, you know, are you, are you planning on, on buying a different property or, you know, what, what's your plans with this capital? Just to understand, is the landlord seeing something, you know, that, that, that you might be missing, you know, and that, you know, I always want to understand if I'm a buyer of an asset, why, why is there someone selling? And it might be a very human reason, you know, they might be changing cities or they might have too many properties or, or they can't afford to carry, you know, the, 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 the costs, but it's an important thing just to find out. Okay. Lovely. Warren Ingram, thank you. Uh, more with Warren in just a moment. Our question this week, our term, our word, our phrase what is a unit trust? And I know what a unit trust is. You may know or think you know what a unit trust is, but I'm quite keen on a textbook explanation with Warren in a moment. The Money Show. Personal finance with Warren Ingram. So what is a unit trust? Unit trust is a, is a strange thing. So it's a combination of a company. Uh, it's as if a company and a trust, uh, in, in a, a legal trust, um, kind of had a child. And and what they created was this thing called a unit trust. So so it is a it is a company that trades. Uh, it can actually trade on the stock exchange, or it can trade, you know, in a, in a retirement fund or something like that. And what happens is. Uh, a, a bunch of investors will put their money together, so they'll pool their money in, into this thing, um, and and the money will then be owned only by the people who have put money into the unit trust, and that unit trust can then uh, invest in a range of different investments. So so you get different categories of investments uh, for, for unit trust. So for example, you get a money market unit trust, which by law is only allowed to invest in very short-term money market instruments. So so typically much safer, for example, than than other kinds of unit trusts uh, that, that might, might only invest in shares. But, but the important thing for people to understand is uh, if, for example, you buy a unit trust from a big fund manager, the, the big fund manager does have has no ownership of the of the assets of that unit trust. So if that big fund manager uh, goes bankrupt or there's you know there's some big issue there, the, the 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 creditors of that company may not touch the unit trust. Only the investors inside the unit trust have access to the money and have, have rights to that money. So so that's an important thing. And then I think just understanding that you get you know the, the, the categories from money market right through, for example, to international unit trusts, and and so those might only invest in in global shares. So so you've got quite a nice spread there. And, and then unit trusts are extremely transparent. So, so they are audited, they're, they're highly regulated. So you can always see exactly how the money is invested. If you're a unit holder, you get an annual report, you get to see exactly the pricing of that investment and you know how much it moves up or down every single day. So, so you know exactly uh, you know what it's doing. And, and then you can see, for example, if it's paying you dividends or interest, and it's always tradable. It's something that you can always buy or always sell. Very quickly, um, unit trusts tend to be actively managed, so they tend to be more expensive than exchange-traded funds, which are like unit trusts, but they are baskets of shares done in proportion and therefore um, have got lower management costs. I mean, just in 30 seconds, just talk to me costs. 
Uh, yeah, so that certainly that certainly was true, but but uh, you know, in a lot of the time, what would happen is a fund manager would say, "I'm going to buy different shares. I'm not going to track an index. I'm going to try and do better than the the, the index." But but certainly in the last uh, probably I think it's probably five or eight years now, there are lots and lots of index providers who've actually launched their their, their indexes within a unit trust. So they're trying to compete head on with with, with the exchange traded funds, which makes them attractive for people who want to have them inside retirement funds, for example, because it's quite been quite hard to buy a, a, an exchange-traded fund in a retirement fund. So, so the costs of, of a lot of unit trusts are coming down, but sometimes they, they, are, they are quite a bit more expensive, you know, sometimes as much as, let's say, 1% per year for a unit trust, where, where you might only be paying 0.1% for, for an exchange-traded fund. But as I say, there are some uh, unit trusts, for example, that are index trackers that are, that are going at 0.2% a year. So, so that gap is certainly narrowing. Thank you. Warren Ingram, Director, Galileo Capital, Personal Financial Advisor.